Welcome back to the Actors Room, everyone. Episode number five. And today we are going to talk about James Dean, one of the most famous actors of all time, an icon that has lasted throughout the years. It's going to be a lot of fun talking about James Dean. So here we go. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and welcome back to another episode of The Actors Room. So here we go, talking about James Dean today. And I'm going into this episode very excited, because this is an actor that, alongside Marlon Brando, did a lot to give me something extra to look for, when I watch his performances, it seems that every time I watch a performance of his, and he was only in three films, but it seems like every time I watch those films and watch him, I learn something new. He's that good. He's one of those actors that was so fun to watch. And James Dean is a true icon. His face and image are all over the place, especially in New York City. My God, when I lived in New York City, and you walk into one of those gift shops, and they have I Love New York everywhere, well, there were James Dean stuff everywhere. Him and Marilyn Monroe. Oh my God. You would think they were the biggest stars in the history of the world, and they just might be. Their image is stuck on the minds of most people on the planet. So it's kind of a big deal. So I'm looking forward to talking about the early life of James Dean, and the three films he was in, and the sort of inspiration that he brought to a lot of people. Okay, James Dean was born on February 8, 1931, in Marion, Indiana, which is about 50 miles north of Indianapolis. His mother gave him the Christian name James, and then the middle name, Byron, in honor of her favorite poet, Lord Byron. His mother's name, was Mildred Wilson. She was a warm and loving woman. Now her parents taught her love of art and poetry, and she had aspirations and dreams of her own pertaining to art, but fell into a passionate romance with a young man named Winton Dean. And this, of course, is James's father. They fell in love kind of early, and what happened? She got pregnant. It was unexpected. And the result was, of course, James Byron Dean. See, back then, you got pregnant before you were married. You had a couple of choices. You could get married, have your child. Or sometimes what happened was the families would be so ashamed, they would take their daughter and send her away, have her take care of the baby for a very short period of time after she gives birth, but ultimately give it up for adoption and sort of keep it a secret. So Mildred decided that she was very much in love with Winton and she was now going to be a mother and a wife. And she would have to give up her dream 
to do something along the lines of art as a profession. So she decided that she was going to place all of her love for art into her young son, Jimmy. Winton Dean was a dental mechanic. It was a good job, and it allowed for Mildred to give her son the attention he deserved. The little boy was at his mother's side always. They took long walks together. She taught him how to play the piano. And at one point, they even built a toy stage together. He learned how to play the violin and then would draw pictures on a daily basis and place them under his mother's pillow. And I always thought this was a cute story. You know, you place things under your pillow, it's a special thing when you're a kid, right? With the tooth fairy, you lose a tooth, you place it under your pillow, and then the next day, tooth gone. And what's underneath? You know, some money. A couple of, when I was a kid, it was a couple of quarters. Now, it's like, what, five bucks? But back then, Jimmy would put a piece of art down on paper. It could be anything you can imagine. His, his hopes, his loves, his yearnings. I mean, he was probably five, six, seven years old at this time. And his mother was teaching him to put your passions on paper. And then when you're done... I want you to slip them underneath my pillow. And then when you wake up the next morning, it's gone. What was she teaching him? She was teaching him how to dream. Now, other family members were critical of how Mildred was raising Jimmy. And the reason why is because they felt she was sheltering him a bit too much. But I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. But there's nothing wrong with giving extra love to your young son, daughter. I mean, what's wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you're not abusing him in any way, uh, what's the problem? She loved her kid. So maybe something else was going on. I could not find out if there was something else going on. But from what I gather, it was just they felt she was a little too loving, uh, too sheltering. Maybe he needed a little bit more space. I mean, what do they call that now? Where are you overparent? I mean, I get that. But there is nothing wrong with showing a lot of love to your son or daughter. Nothing at all. Now, they felt that because he was getting this overparenting, that he was going to struggle getting along with other kids. And that is kind of the case here. So maybe they do have a point. Because... Excuse me. When Jimmy went to school, he was detached. And teachers said that he had a hard time making friends. So because of this, him and his mother got closer and closer. Winton's job had the family transferring from Indiana to Santa Monica, California. Now, Because of this, he had to go to a new school. Jimmy had to readjust and meet new kids. And that's when the teacher said he struggled. And he had his little violin case because he played violin. And I can sort of identify with that because when I was a kid, I played violin from second grade to seventh grade. And when you're walking around with a violin case, chances are you're probably going to get picked on. 
It's just the way it is. So I could relate to little Jimmy because you know what, Jim? I get picked on too. So, yeah, you know, it happens. What are you going to do? Uh, his nickname was Deanie. When Jimmy was nine years old, his mother got very sick. Her vivacious spirit and energy was waning, and Jimmy was disturbed. She suffered from cancer and was affecting her quickly. The young boy watched her wilt away. He displayed emotions of confusion and anger. James Dean will never, ever get over his mother's death. A part of him died along with Mildred. Instead of father and son coming together because of this loss, they actually grew further apart. Due to the mother's illness, Winton found himself in financial trouble. So, because of her sickness, there was a lot of hospital visits, bills, medications, things like that. So, Winton did find himself in a bind. And Jimmy's grandmother offered a suggestion. Have Jimmy come live with us back in Indiana. The father thought about it and agreed to the terms. Jimmy would live with his grandparents in Indiana. Little Jimmy had literally lost both his parents at a young age. And you know something? That is absolutely dead on right. Here you have this nine-year-old kid, nine years old, loses his mother. And from what I understand, she went pretty quick. So he found it a hard time to get over the fact that his mom was not around anymore. I mean, here is a person in your life, so much a part of your life. And to be at that age and then lose the most important person in your life, just like that, has to be mind-blowing to me. I couldn't imagine it. And it affected Jimmy beyond all recognition. The little boy didn't know how to filter these emotions at all. He just, he put it all inside, I think. So he had a rough time with that. And so you think that James' father, Winton, would sort of, you know, be there for his son. No. He decided to let him live with the grandparents. Wow. I just, hmm. to me, that's a cop-out, man. That is a big cop-out. You can't raise your own son. You have to pass your own son onto your parents. Here, mom and dad, you take care of them. Now, I understand that the mother, the grandmother, what Jimmy's grandmother, did make the suggestion. But that doesn't matter. Grandparents suggest stuff all the time. It doesn't mean you have to go along with it. He gave his son away. And I could imagine what Jimmy was feeling at that time. You know, I know they didn't get along that well. And maybe Winton wasn't the best father, obviously. But still, I mean, that's his dad. And I would feel horrible knowing that my dad pretty much gave me away. The relationship between father and son was uncomfortable at best. They just couldn't relate to one another. And this would be a driving force of his artistic inspiration when it came to scene work. Dean would use his father as a source of sorrow. Jimmy would ride back to Indiana 
with his grandparents and the sealed coffin of his mother. At every stop, he would check on the casket to make sure she was still there. That is so sweet. This poor little nine-year-old boy is just, every time they were on a train, right? And the coffin was being transported on the train. And every time they would make, there would be a stop, he would go back there and make sure that she was okay. He also never cried. He kept it all inside. So Jimmy grew up on a farm. And this is very similar to Marlon Brando's situation, just the simple fact that Brando also grew up on a farm. Dean's new home was a friendly family atmosphere. It took him a while to become acquainted with the area and the people, and he would withdraw easily and suffered mood swings. He was taught to work on the farm, learned to drive a tractor by the age of 10, looked after the livestock, and would shoot the rats in the farmyard or the rabbits on the land. Now, he would eventually, through time, become quite comfortable on the farm and among the community. He enjoyed school and attended Fairmount High School. He graduated in the year 1949. Now, once again, I will reference and recommend classmates.com, and this is the reason why. You go in there, you look up, Fairmount High School, put in the year 1949, and boom, you get to look at James Dean's senior yearbook, and he is all over that thing. There is no doubt about it, he loved to be involved, and he loved to keep busy as well. Jimmy loved sports, he played basketball, and he also ran track. He joined the drama club and participated in plays. And underneath his picture in the yearbook, you know how you have your uh, senior picture, just your headshot, and they have a little comment underneath your picture? Well, they did this in Dean's yearbook. And this is what was written right under his picture. Jim is our regular basketball guy. And when you're around him, time will fly. (laughs) I love that It's so funny because they rhymed just then. Did you catch that? I'll read it again. Jim is our regular baseball guy. I'm sorry. Let me start over. Jim is our regular basketball guy. And when you're around him, time will fly. They had a, they have that cute little rhyme in there. Corny as hell. This is back in the 50s. Well, I'm sorry, 49, not 50s yet. But so corny but so good. I love that shit. I do. And it just goes to show you that the whole time will fly thing. Obviously, he was fun to be around. So there's a nice little insight into his uh, high school yearbook. And once again, me promoting classmates.com. So hey, if anybody out there works for classmates.com, hey, I'll be your sponsor. I love that site. And almost every podcast I do, I'm referencing you guys. So hey, listen up. I'm open to, you know, offers and whatnot. (laughs) Okay. After graduating from high school, Dean actually moved in with his father and stepmother while he attended Santa Monica College. And this I just don't understand. Okay. Here you have a young man just completed high school and doing very well. 
fascinating character. Seemed like a really nice person. He was gaining confidence. And he goes and lives with his father, who he doesn't get along with, or even know, actually. I mean, he left around, what was that, nine? And he was nine years old. And now he's going to live with his father? And he's got to be around 17, 18 at this time. I don't know. I mean, I understand that there might be a deep down feeling with Jimmy that maybe he's changed. He misses me. Maybe he feels bad about what he did in the past. And me going to live with him, there'll be a spark and we'll get to be buddies. Maybe he had that hope. Maybe. So, Jimmy majored in pre-law and soon realized that was not for him. He thought, what the hell am I doing? Pre-law? No. So what did he do? He transferred to UCLA for one semester and majored in theater. He soon came to the conclusion that he would become an actor. It was in his blood and it was undeniable. His father was not pleased with this decision and would not support him in this career move. Another rejection from his father. Way to go, Dad. What an a-hole. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry, man. Man, there is just something about this Winton guy. It, can you hear it in my voice? Got a little bit of resentment towards him. Is it plain? Gosh, this I don't know what it is about this guy. I just thought I would get that off my chest. It just really pisses me off, this guy. Okay, we're moving on. Dean would eventually join James Whitmore's acting workshop. And I guess this was a very popular workshop in the uh, Los Angeles area. And Jimmy joined it. He would perform in local commercials and did stage work. Jimmy would take Whitmore's advice and move to New York City to pursue a serious acting career in 1951. So here you have James Whitmore seeing something in Jimmy. And he said, listen, do you want to go to New York? And Jimmy said, yeah, I I do, but I don't know if I'm ready. And his teacher told him, you are. You have my full support. Please go. See if you can do it. He goes, I think you can. So Jimmy moved to New York City. He loved acting, and he couldn't wait to head out there and learn more about it. During his first weeks in New York, Dean rarely ventured beyond Midtown. He spent most of his time and money on the movies. He would then explore Greenwich Village, where he discovered a tavern he loved to frequent. He would sit and smoke camels and drink vodka. Another one of Dean's favorite hangouts was Cromwell's Coffee Shop. It was a popular spot for young budding actors and he lounged about with friends like Martin Landau, Bill Gunn, and Barbara Glenn. Dean's time in New York shaped him into the brooding and lovable actor we all came to love. It is reported that he was accepted into the actor's studio after only one audition. And he was the youngest student to date. Now this is very interesting. Because it is very hard to get into the actor's studio on your very first audition. And I'm going to tell you something. 
Lee Strasberg, that's just the way he operated. He felt that if you weren't something really, really off-the-wall special, or he didn't see something in you right away, there was no way you were going to get in. James Dean got in on the first try. Very unusual, and the only other actor that I know that got in on his first audition is Mickey Rourke. And Mickey Rourke is an actor that I want to talk about as well. I find him very fascinating. What a character that guy is. But he is amazing. Amazing actor. He got in on the first time as well. Jimmy was thrilled to be invited to the actor's studio because his favorite actor, Marlon Brando, would appear there. Jimmy would go to great lengths to emulate Brando and try to harness his talent and prestige. Jimmy was a dedicated actor and often went too far in scenes to show his drive to succeed. Teachers and directors would struggle to tame his wildness, then be taken aback by his 180-degree turnaround of his withdrawals. He would cave into himself and shut down at a moment's notice. There was something going on under the surface. He showcased his early talent on television by winning roles on the Kraft Television Theater. Now, television was, of course, a new stage for um, actors in those days. Um, it really opened doors for young actors like Dean. And, uh, you know, he would use these TV performances to grow as an actor and be seen by many more people as opposed to going into a play on a solitary stage in New York. It just makes sense. I think television was a great tool for a lot of young actors at this time. And if you do some research, you're going to find actors like Paul Newman and, you know, Robert Redford. Um, a lot of actors got some great, great practice and experience on television during this time. I mean, you got to understand, too, you're on the cusp of the television f craze. I mean, that was, can you imagine back then? Getting your first television set, how exciting that probably was. I mean, wow, we got a television set. So James Dean would be seen on these little, they would be like one-act plays on television. Some of them would be like 10, 15 minutes long. So he was making some good experience doing these. In 1952, Dean got his first New York stage role. The play was called See the Jaguar. It opened on December 23rd, and it was, it was panned. And I say this because within five days, they, they closed the show. But Dean's performance stood out, and soon he was cast in his next play called The Immortalist. He was to play a homosexual houseboy. He would act alongside Geraldine Page in this production, and the two of them became very good friends. Jimmy did not get along with one of his older co-stars because of his acting method. Dean would never deliver a line the same way twice, and this bugged the shit out of this older actor. And Dean 
was a mystery to him. He just couldn't comprehend this kid. He was driving him nuts. The other actor was classically trained, and Jimmy would remark later on that this co-star, and I guess his name, his first name is Lewis, he would say, Lewis was so stiff that he couldn't raise his hands over his head. So there you go. Just two weeks into the run of The Immortalist, Dean gave the director this shocker. I'm leaving the show, he said. Here's my notice. He had been offered a movie role by director Aaliyah Kazan. He would take the part of Cal in East of Eden. The story of him auditioning for Eden is pretty cool. I guess what happened was Kazan must have been in the audience watching The Immortalist. Saw him and said to himself, holy shit, that's my Cal. He must have been in the process of auditioning characters for his next movie, East of Eden, and he was looking for Cal. Well, he found him. So what he did was he set up a little audition. But what I think it was, was more of an interview. He had him come in. Dean walked in the room, sat down, and they had a nice little chat. As soon as Jimmy started talking, it was undeniable. Kazan had his cal. He didn't have to read a single line of dialogue. He walked in the room, and all he saw was cal. His mannerisms, the way he carried himself, the way he talked. And he asked him, do you get along with your father? That's all he had to say. He had his cal. And you know what the weird thing is? Is that James Dean, although getting a, a hell of a break here, I mean, what a break. You're doing a, a Broadway show, and two weeks into doing this production, you have one of the biggest Hollywood directors of all time asking you to be in his movie. That's got to be one hell of a compliment. And it was only two weeks into the show this happened. It's so improbable. And the only other story that I can think of when I was in New York in the late 90s, Topher Grace was doing some stage work at the same time I was. And the story is he was doing stage work and someone in the audience was a producer for that 70s show. And that's how Topher Grace kind of made his big break. You just have to be in the right place at the right time with the right, right guy or girl who's casting a show going, oh yeah, you know, boy, that's my Eric. <laughs> I've been looking for this Eric for months. There he is. And that's what these brilliant producers, casting directors do. They just don't watch audition tapes. They go out and watch plays. They, they see movies, independent films. And hopefully they find these very talented young actors. And that's what you should do. It's like finding a good prospect. So that's what happened with James. God bless him. He was at the right place at the right time. And his talent coincided with Kazan. And they went off to Hollywood to make East of Eden. James Dean didn't fit in as he thought he would in California. And he kind of yearned for the New York days. But now Jimmy was in the movies. And he made the best of it. He was working with the best 
director in the business, right? Like I mentioned before, Kazan was great at working with actors and knowing how to press their buttons. And Jimmy had many scars and deep emotion, and Gadge knew it. And once again, Gadge is Kazan's nickname. Gadge set it up where on set, father and son was vital to the success of the picture, and they did not get along. And this was, oh, Kazan loved that. He loved that, and that's what he wanted. He pitted the two against one another. Now, the name of the actor that played his dad, his name was Raymond Massey. And he really struggled acting with Dean because I think he was another classically trained actor and didn't understand this, this actor who would, you know, brood around and, you know, talk under his breath and talk to himself. And, and that's what James Dean would do to get himself prepared for a scene. He would, if he had to be real sad, he would work himself up to be sad in a very, what other actors would say, in maybe a disturbed way because he was so into it. And then you had Gadge sort of whispering into Dean's ear about how, you know, you know, this guy is such an ace, isn't he? He's such an ass. Just, you know, rile him up a little bit. We'll get him all pissed off. It'll help your character. And that's what uh, Gadge did and sort of got underneath the skin of Dean and Raymond Massey. An interesting part of this process of East of Eden and the relationship between the father and son is this. Early on in the process of the progression of Cal, which is James Dean's character's name, James Dean struggled with it a bit. So Gadge had an idea. He said, let's go see your father. Now you got to understand, James Dean's father, Winton, lived in Santa Monica, not that far away from L.A. and Hollywood where they were working. So they hopped in the car, drove on over to Winton's house, knocked on the door, and within seconds were face-to-face with Winton Dean. The encounter was short and awkward. You can tell Winton was uncomfortable around his son in his new life. Dean and Kazan got back in their car and headed back to the studio. Kazan looked at Jimmy and could see his anguish, his hurt. Use it, he said. Use it. And that he did. He gave one hell of a performance. And I gotta tell you, East of Eden is my favorite Dean film because he does his best acting in that film. I love the other two movies as well. Well done, very good movies. But East of Eden is my favorite. I don't think there was an actor before or after Dean who possessed eyes softer than his. He was so utterly vulnerable, you know? His character in East of Eden just wanted to be accepted. I mean, just wanted to be loved. If you've never seen East of Eden, go watch it. It is just heart-wrenching to watch. This kid that James Dean played, his, you could see his anguish and his hurt. And it was deep. It was emotional. He was battling getting love from both his mother and his father in this film. And you just feel so sorry for this kid. And, and Dean did one hell of a job portraying that. It just an amazing role. 
amazing role. Kazan saw that Jimmy and the character he played were one and the same. And Dean showed that he could be a star. His next role would prove to define not only him, but a generation. Rebel without a cause. Dean's sulking and mood swings would become evident on and off the set. He would be known to greet fellow actors and crew members with a beautiful smile one morning, and then the next completely ignore everyone. And Sal Minio would comment on this. Uh, Sal looked up to Dean when they were on set filming Rebel, and like I just said, Dean would come in probably most days and be very nice and smile a lot and you know, put your arm around you and make you feel good and comfortable around him. And then the next day he'd walk in and completely ignore you. And you're just thinking to yourself, uh, what did I do yesterday? Did I do something to piss him off? Did I say something? I'm not, I, I'm confused. Why would he do this to me? And Sal looking up to him thought, oh my God, he hates me. And it really affected him. But what I think is I think Dean would use his mood swings to help out his acting. James Dean wasn't in the business of making friends. He was in the business of becoming the greatest actor the world had ever seen. Period. Rebel is a clinic in understanding true greatness in acting. Like I said before, Dean gives moments that are rich and full of emotion. He plays and then focuses when necessary. Here's just a few tidbits about this wonderful film. The opening scene of Jimmy playing with the toy monkey was all improvised. The scene was going shitty and was going nowhere after 24 straight hours. Can you imagine filming for 24 straight hours? I don't know how often that happens, but holy shit. So you got to imagine all of them are at their wits end. So Jimmy asked the director, Nicholas Ray, to let him try something new. The director said, fine, please, Jimmy, please do something. That'd be great. He did. And what you see is the beginning shot. And that really cute moment and kind of a weird moment, I have to admit, when I watched the film in the opening scene, him laying there and playing with this toy monkey. It's cute and everything, but isn't it? I don't know, it's kind of weird, but it worked, you know? And maybe that's why it works so well. But it is, it's a little awkward and strange. And it also ended that 24 straight hour streak that they were going at. So I am sure they were all happy about that. Maybe, just maybe, they should have, you know, consulted Dean a little earlier. They all could have went home about, I don't know, 23 hours and 58 minutes earlier. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Nicholas Ray also stopped the flow of the knife fighting scene because Dean had got nicked by one of the blows. So I guess what happened is during the uh, fight scene where they have the knife fight scene, they were using real knives. No shit. And they had on a protective, uh, not like a bulletproof vest. I mean, it wasn't like they were shooting each other, but they had some sort of vest protection. And what happened was Dean got nicked. 
somewhere besides the chest area, and he started to bleed. So Nicholas Ray decided to stop the scene. My God, Jimmy's bleeding. And Dean's like, what are you doing to me right now? Why did you stop the scene? And Nicholas Ray said that, well, you're bleeding, Jimmy. We have to stop the scene. We have to take care of you. What if you're really hurt? Well, Dean was pissed. He was in a great moment. The scene was just flowing along. And he said, don't ever do that again. I was in a scene doing really well. You stopped it? That's ridiculous. And I can identify with this because I was in a scene and we were doing dialogue back and forth, my partner and I. And um, she would get really aminated with her arms flailing around. You know, she was Italian, so she would just do that, you know, naturally. And she wore a ring. And we're doing the scene, and it's going really well. And she's flailing around with her arms. And her ring that was on her finger, you know, it swung up. And it hit me right in the cheek. And I remember getting hit in the cheek while we were doing the scene. But I kept going, you know, because it's kind of going really well. And I didn't want to stop. And the director let us go, finished the scene. And afterwards, I'm like... I'm looking, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm really bleeding here. You know, it was all over my face. It was like dripping down my face and I didn't care. It was cool. You know, the scene was great. Everyone was clapping and like, yeah, good scene. But I was a little bloody. So what? But you know, the teacher, the director let us keep going. And that's what Dean was pissed about. He's like, any good director would keep the tape rolling. How dare you? Don't ever do that to me again. And I also guess that the sales of t-shirts soared after the release of this film, which is great. Just his look, that rebel without a cause look, you know, that, that cool image of him where he's standing there with that red jacket on and he's got the cigarette sort of, you know, really cool up against his uh, white shirt, the, the shirt that's just flying off the shelves because of the famous James Dean standing there with a cigarette. I thought that's, that's a really cool story as well. James Dean later confessed, and this is the quote, This film used me up. I could never take so much out of myself again. End quote. Jimmy bruised his hand very badly during the scene where he takes out all of his frustration on the policeman's desk. And if you remember, it's in the very beginning of the movie where he's in the police station and the cop takes him into this uh, office, and Dean and his character, Jim, are sitting there right next to the desk. And the cop is just talking to him, and he says, listen, if you need to take out your frustration on anything, use the desk. So Jim you know, kind of looks at him at first and says, you know what, that's probably not a bad idea. And he starts wailing on the desk. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He was really hitting that thing. And you could tell he was in pain after he got done bashing it. Like, you could see he's like, ah, what did I do? You know, <laughs> my knuckles. I guess that was a bad idea. But no, it wasn't a bad idea. It was real. You know, and that's what James Dean did. He really hit that desk with all of his heart, pounding it, hurting his fists. So I guess he had to wear bandages on his hands and knuckles for a week afterwards because he really did put a punching on that desk. Good for you, Jimmy. Paul Newman was considered for the role of Jim Stark. And there are clips you can see where the two of them are in an audition together. And it's pretty neat. I would recommend checking it out on YouTube. 
It's on there. Um, the actress Anne Doran, who played his mother in the film, had an interesting quote about her experience working with Dean. And here's the quote. Jimmy was a strange boy. On the first day, Jim Backus, who was another actor in the production who played his father, his name is Jim Backus. Jim Backus couldn't believe it. We were watching Jimmy doing his scene, and someone had said, Quiet, we are going to shoot now. And they got up to speed and were ready for action. Jimmy went down on the floor in the fetal position for the longest time. It seemed like a half a can of film. And then Nick said, Action! Jimmy stood up and went right into the scene. Jim Backus and I had never seen the method of doing things like that ever before. Nick seemed to be mesmerized by Jimmy, end quote. Due to the success of this film, Warner Brothers drew up a long-term contract with James Dean. They couldn't let him get away. The film Giant was to be his last performance. Just sad. For the role of Jet Rink, the poor dirt farmer who strikes it rich, Alan Ladd was the frontrunner but turned it down. Monty Clift was also considered, but George Stevens, who was the director of this film, felt his personal problems might interfere with the shooting schedule. And you have to understand, Monty Clift at this time was a very low-functioning alcoholic. Finally, George Stevens agreed to hire James Dean, who was so desperate for the role that James offered to work for a minimal salary. But almost from the beginning, there was friction between the actor and the director. Stevens tried to break Dean of some of his actor studio's mannerisms and demanded that the actor report to the set on time. In defiance, Dean would often hold up production for hours. Sounds like a Brando to me. Causing the film to go over a schedule. Wow, sounds like another Brando move. <laughs> At one point, he was said to have ruined an outdoor scene by yelling, Cut! And then unzipping his pants and urinating in full view of the crew and visitors on set. Uh, these kind of shenanigans, I'm not really, I don't know, I just don't approve of. Um, certain things like that. If James Dean, if that's true. And I think it is. These are actions that I can't back. I don't know. I hope he was doing it for the role. If it was helping him get somewhere with the role, okay. I guess I get it, but it's so inappropriate. You don't have to do that in front of everyone. It just You don't have to do that sort of thing. It's just strange. Now, Rock Hudson, who roomed briefly with Dean and co-star Chill Wills during filming, shared the director's dislike for his co-star. Rock Hudson felt that Dean's method of acting was completely self-absorbed to the point where he alienated his co-stars, offered no give and take in his performance. Boo fucking who. Really, Rock? I mean, it just sounds like an actor displaying sour grapes, doesn't it? Okay, maybe Dean was hard to work with on set because he was a method actor 
And some of these method actors get really into their method, okay? They pace around the stage, they pace around the set, they're moody, they're telling everybody to call them by their character's name and all that stuff. I get it. It's weird. You know, your real name isn't Jet. I mean, we get it. Dean would do stuff like that. He became the character and wanted to go through everything he had to go through in order to give the best performance he could. He was an artist. Some of these other actors who had different techniques really just to, like love to rail on these method actors. Like, well, how dare they act that way? And how dare they? Blah, blah, blah. You know what? Just shut up and do the scene. How about that? You may have opinions about it. Fine. But let's get this straight. James Dean was a hell of a lot better than you in that picture. Hmm. I guess he was doing something right. So, yeah, just shut up. And I have nothing against Rock Hudson. He's fine. He's a fine actor. I have nothing against him. I'm speaking in general terms here. It just kind of pisses me off the way method actors are dissed all the time. Let it go. That's the way they do their work. It's as simple as that. Let them do it. That's all I'm going to say about that. I just thought I would go ahead and express my opinions on that matter. Whatever. So, anyways, moving on. Um, of course, Dean had his defenders. And in James Dean, a book called James Dean, author Val Holly wrote that when Edna Ferber visited the set of Giant, she came away with this quote. Here it goes. Dean liked and charmed Ferber trying to teach her some of the rope tricks he had mastered. She called him a genius and shrugged off his troubles with George Stevens as, quote-unquote, success poisoning, a syndrome she said she knew very well from the days when she had simultaneous hits on Broadway. End of quote. So it just goes to show you that there were defenders of Dean sticking up for him, thank you, and saw that his success about the way he went around doing the method, okay, now Brando was doing something similar, but not exactly the same. As I said before, Marlon Brando really studied under Stella Adler. James Dean studied under Lee Strasberg, two different things. And if you look up the relationship between Strasberg and a lot of other people, teachers in the acting world, they didn't get along very well. It might just have been competition. Eh, maybe. But Lee Strasberg rubbed people the wrong way. That's another story. But let me get back to the point. The point is, James Dean's method was different from Brando's. A lot of people really didn't like the method at this point. This was the early stages. Even today, there are actors that struggle with acting alongside method actors. Elizabeth Taylor was a co-star of Jimmy's on Giant. And she also grew to love him and later said, and here's her quote, we would sometimes sit up until three in the morning and he would tell me about his past, his mother, minister, his loves, and the next day he would just look straight through me as if he'd given away or revealed too much of himself. It would take maybe a couple of days before we'd back on our friendship terms. He was very afraid to give up himself. And that's the end of the quote.
Jimmy's method was a method that worked for him. I think some fellow actors were jealous of his talent. He was unconventional, and it scared them. He was very much like Brando in this respect. In Jet Rink, Dean was given the freedom to fully express his range and talent. His character wanted so badly to fit in with high society that he scoffed at the very thought of them and then ultimately becomes one of them in the end. And that's irony right there. Though long and a bit winded, I actually did enjoy Giant. It's long. And there are some boring parts. If you're ever going to sit down and watch Giant, it's long. I'm going to prepare you. There's some long, boring parts. But you get to see Dean. And that's exactly what I did watching this movie. The first time, I yearned for when he would come on. I pretty much watched so I wouldn't miss when he would come on the screen. Dean's scenes are unbelievable. He was just so much fun to watch. We lost him too soon, of course. A car accident took the young budding star away from us. Only getting a glimpse of what could have been. The Academy Awards nominated him for East of Eden and Giant after his death. And shame on the Academy for not giving him an Oscar for one of those performances. My brother Dave and I would often discuss Brando and Dean in great detail years ago. Still do a little bit. And when we talked about Dean, the conversation would always start off positive. And we'd be laughing and talking passionately about his work. Then it would always end angrily. And I say that because we feel cheated. Think of all those Wonderful performances that we missed out on. By God, what a waste. I guess we weren't supposed to witness this talented man take on more roles and dazzle us. You have to remember that he was only 24 years old when he died in that car crash. He was a baby. He was still in the early stages of his progression as an artist. He left behind his love for searching, his love for acting, poetry, sculpting, and pure genius. I think of Dean, and I think of what might have been. His image is still powerful after all these years. James Dean became an icon forever. James Dean defined cool forever. And those who appreciate great art will miss him forever. Thanks for listening, everyone. I love James Dean. I love his performances. And it was great to discuss him a little bit with you. And I love doing this podcast. It's so great to talk about great actors, great artists. I'm looking forward to doing future podcasts. The next one is going to be about Jack Nicholson. I can't wait to dive into him. It's going to be wonderful. Please leave comments and reviews. It helps me so much. Please subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends. 
tell anyone about the podcast if you like it and you think someone else will like it too. Someone who appreciates talking about great actors, talking about greatness. And I'm just listening to myself right now and realizing I'm using the word great too much, I think. I'm going to have to start using different words to explain great. Because it sounds like I'm just saying great too much. Great, 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 great. So I'm going to concentrate or try to use maybe another word. Something other than great. We'll see. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Put in a movie tonight. Right? Of course. Uh, This is becoming my saying now. I, I think I've come to that conclusion. Putting in a movie. You know what I watched yesterday? Boogie Nights. Now, this is one of my favorite films when I was in New York City. It came out when I was in New York. And I just fell in love with that film. I know it's about porn. I get that. But that's secondary. The director is so amazing. Anderson, man, he gives good movies. Because he also did, um, wow, it's escaping me right now. Holy crap. How come I can't think of that movie he did uh, with uh, Tom Cruise, Magnolia? I don't know which one's better. I go back and forth. For a while, I thought Boogie Nights was better. But Magnolia is pretty damn good too. But I watch Boogie Nights. Damn, that's a good movie. It really is. Great performances. Uh, the storyline is a little out there. But the directing is top-notch. Just a really great film. I watched that the other night. So put in a movie tonight. Enjoy. Sit back. Relax. Take a load off. It's been a long day. Or right now it is a long day. Or maybe later. Put in a movie. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Love you. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.